Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for giving to us in 2016, and we come together to look forward to what you're going to do this year. So let us start right by giving to you, recognizing that all that we have is a gift from your loving hand to us. And Father, may we glorify you in our giving. May it worship you. May it call you worthy. In your name we pray. Amen. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Well, I'm glad you're here to start off the new year right. I hope you had a good uh, holiday, and I know some of you may be going back to work this week, or maybe you have one last week, I don't know, but pray that you enjoy it. I want to start off the new year with a message before we start into our series of 1 Peter next week, and I'm looking forward to that series as we're going to go through 1 Peter and 2 Peter through the next year or so, is Run, Christian, Run, found in Hebrews chapter 12. First, I want to tell you about two men named Bannister and Landy. You might recognize those names if you are a runner. There's a great race on August 7th of 1954, if you can go back to that year. During the British Empire in the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver, BC, England's Roger Bannister and Australian John Landy met for the first time in the one-mile run at the newly constructed Empire Stadium. Now here's what's unique about this story is that both men had broken the four-minute barrier previously the year. Until then, no one had ever broken four-minute mile. Well, they both had done it in the same year. Actually, very close to each other, if I remember right. I was not there, by the way. I was not yet born. But in my reading, if I recall, that they was very close together. Bannister was the first to break the mark with a time of three minutes, 59 seconds, and four-tenths of a second. The next month, John Landy became the new record holder with the official time of 3 minutes and 58 seconds, so just barely beating Bannister. The world watched eagerly as both men approached the starting blocks on that day, August 7th. 35,000 enthusiastic fans looked on. No one knew what would take place on that historic day. It was promoted as the mile of the century, and it would be later known as the miracle mile. The race begins, the gun goes off, the runners go into their stances and they begin to run. With only 90 yards to go, the first three quarter miles or so, everyone is racing, it's a very close one, but with only 90 yards to go in one of the world's most memorial races, John Landy was leading. And in his lead, and you'll see it there, he glanced over his left shoulder to check his opponent's position. And it's at that instant that Bannister streaked by him to victory in a record time of 3 minutes, 58 seconds, and 8 tenths. Landy's second place finish in 3 minutes, 59 seconds, or 59.6 tenths of a second, marked the first time that the 4-minute mile had been broken by two men in the same race. Two of them running a great race. Both of them broke the 4-minute mile. What a race that was. Both men reached a time never reached before by anyone else 
but only one came home with the victory. John Landy lost the race due to a lack of self-control. If you are a runner, you know that you are trained never, ever what? Look back. Continued, continue, continue. And in this picture, uh, marked for all prosperity, I found this, this is the original picture, is here turning his head, as you can see, as Bannister went through and passed him. He lost his training. He lost his self-control. He could not help but look back, and it cost him the race. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 24, he writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete, he writes, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. They would receive an, an actual wreath around their head made of leaves and so on. But we an imperishable one. So I do not run, Paul writes, aimlessly. I do not box as one who beateth the air. He changes metaphors. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In this case, John Landry had disciplined his body. He broke the four-minute mile, but he broke self-control where? In his mind. In this context, Paul is speaking about self-control. In this case, it was his desire to win as many people to Christ, to plant as many churches as he could, to encourage Christians everywhere to grow to maturity in Christ as an apostle. He recognizes that many times, though, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Help me out. Weak. Thank you. He does not want any sinful desire or sinful passion to keep him from accomplishing the purposes that God gave him. Like David, he wants to serve God in his generation. And we spent some time learning about this this past fall. So he uses the metaphor of a race to illustrate the need for a Christian to live a self-controlled life. A life that is focused on glorifying God and fulfilling our role as God's workmanship found in Ephesians. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so for you and I, I want to share about run, Christian run, is that you and I are in a race. That race is not just one winner, but it's a race in which we need to live self-controlled lives, not only in the physical sense, but also in the mental sense. For many times, that's where the battle is. The Bible tells us that we're to be developers or we're to be lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, our, our church vision is, is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so our desire is no matter where you come from, how you've come to Christ or where you've been, is that as, as we are here in our church, we want you to become a lifelong seeker of the kingdom of Christ. And we said the way that we do that is by reaching up. We reach up by focusing on God. That's worship. Focusing on God, not just here on Sunday mornings at 1040, but 24-7 is, is my mind set on the things of God. We also do it by reaching in, and that's fellowship and discipleship where we're doing life together. And some of you have shared some wonderful things about our church, and thank you. We desire to be 
friendly. We desire to be transparent. We desire to be warming to each other. But we also desire to be true and real. Recognizing that we are not called to run this race even just by ourselves, but together as a body of Christ. And then we also want to reach out and sharing the gospel and serving and meeting needs with love. That's the race that you and I are called onto. So it's apropos that today, being the New Year's Day, you know, 1 January 1st, 2017, we can speak about this. And, and I want to tell you, as Christian, you need to be running. You're in a race. Some of you think that you're in a spectator, that you're in the stands and you're watching, you're cheering on some other people. And sometimes you may come here this morning and that's what you're doing is you're just sitting here cheering everyone else. Go, worship team, go. You know, go, Pastor Rob, go, go, Dustin, go. And then you go home and you've watched a good show, but you haven't been involved in the worship. God has not called us to be spectators. That's the one thing I would say that if we could do something different with this church, I, it would be so nice where we would fashion such a way that you don't spend the whole time just sitting there watching me or the backs of someone else's head. But it is what it is. And so I encourage you and strengthen you is don't waste your time not thinking that you're in a race because you are, whether you believe you are or not. I want to tell you about a story of someone who has illustrated a lack of control themselves, but it's in the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 19 if you would. In Genesis chapter 19, we find the story and you're going to, as soon as I sell you, start telling you what it's about, you recognize it. Lot, Abraham's nephew, who went departed from him and wound up making uh, a place for himself and his family in the city of Sodom. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy it. Abraham tries to bargain with God. He gets God down to ten righteous men. So the angels begin to go to Lot themselves and say, listen, we need to take you all out. He says, no, I don't believe you. What's going on? All sorts of other uh, you know, things that we're not going to speak about today happens there. But then we find ourselves... In Genesis chapter 19, look at verse 15. The day of the departure. They must leave. The city is going to be destroyed. No survivors. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. I wonder how many of us linger in our Christian life. That's not even my notes. I'm just sorry. We may not get through this until the end of the year. But he lingered. I think there's so many of us that God calls us to do and we're lingering. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife. You can imagine it. They grab him and they start to drag him out. And his two daughters by the hand. The Lord, listen to this, be merciful to him. There's going to be times God is going to have to grab you by the hand while you're shaking and saying no, and he's going to grab your hand, and it's by his mercy. And they brought him out, and they set them outside the city. Look at verse 17. And they brought him out, it said, and one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you show me great kindness. I cannot escape to the hills. Let the disaster overtake me and die if that happens. Behold, the city is near to, enough to flee, and, and it is a little one. Let me escape. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? In verse 21, behold, the angel said, I grant you this favor also, 
that I will not overflow the city which you have spoken. We don't know the name of that city. It was not torn down. Verse 22, escape there quickly, for I can do nothing to you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came. Verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah and sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heavens. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I think the story reflects many of us in our Christian life. Saved from destruction by the mercy of God, dragged from our, our rebellious wills into his kingdom, we still find ourselves looking back at what we lost or think we lost and what we think, believe we're missing from our previous way of life. Many times we become distracted from the race looking back, uh, finding ourselves running in circles. As we close out 2016 and we begin this year of 2017, it's good to be reminded that God has called us to follow him. Jesus warned that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. And so I ask you today, are you plowing, are you pushing back forward? But are you at times looking back? God has called us to walk forward, forgetting what lies behind us. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that some of you were, but now you've been washed, you've been regenerated? But yet Christians, many times, like dogs who return to their vomit, we find ourselves lapping at the things that we should shun. Run, Christian, run. And so with that, I want to give you some facts about the race today. Because I want to encourage you and I want to, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and, and give you a new vigor, a new release in that run, in that race. So here's three facts about the race. Number one, you must realize this is that the race is long. We do not know how long we have on earth. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor of water in a large universe. It's a, a drop of water in an ocean. It's a whisper in a windstorm. Yet David sings that the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. The race is long. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's how I feel. Sometimes I look at the road and I think this is just too long. I've been running for so long. I've been struggling for so long. How can I keep going? And sometimes it seems that in my sin, in my fight with sin, I'm still piling up more and more weight. And some of us, we think of our Christian life as we're running, but we have this harness that's attached to a wagon. And every time I fall or I fail Christ, someone throws another rock in there. And at first it seems to be okay. Some of the rocks I actually like, I get out and play with because I like those sins. And then I throw them back and I go for a while and then, oh man, I'm tired. 
And you look up and you see that road and it's like me taking a hike and seeing the mountain and you see the road going and eventually I realize I need to just put my head down and quit looking ahead. I just need to walk and take it one step. And what's the Chinese proverb? A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The goal is to keep running. It is long. But here we are, we're, we're pulling this and pulling this, and you, you wonder, this is just going to break me down. And so we're carrying all this stuff, and eventually we think, well, wait a second. God is never going to forgive me. God is never going to give me the strength. There's no way I could ever do it. But take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Romans 8. Though you and I are delivered from the penalty and the power of sin... At salvation, we realize that we run against the wind of the presence of sin in our lives. And we yearn for that day when God redeems us bodily. The Apostle Paul encourages us to adopt this way of thinking in Romans chapter 8, verses 18, when he writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. This road is long, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Boy, we hope that it's not a long race, but it is long. For we know in verse 23 that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons. Let me ask, are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready for the presence of sin to be done with in your life? You may not want to go to heaven right away, but I tell you what, I'd love to get up this morning and not fight with sin. I already blew it this morning. I'm not going to tell you how, but I blew it this morning. I actually had to call somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry. Your guys did a great job. I'm the one who lost it. This is the new year. That was my resolution. Don't lose it until at least after 12. I long for it. I long for it. The race is long. While I have breath, every gift that God gives me, it's a long race. We need to recognize that. But in verse 24, he says, For in this hope we are saved. That race may be long, but there is a finish line. There is hope. It will eventually be done. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This race is long. Following Christ is long. Obeying God is a long journey, but God has called us to it. Number two, the race is also difficult. The race is difficult. The writer of Hebrew warns us in chapter 11. And turn, if you would, you have your Bibles to chapter 12. We're not going to go there yet, but have it ready. Chapter 11 
warns us that even though many had done miraculous things through the faith in God, there were many others who were tortured, who refused to accept release, who suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted and mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This race in the Christian life is difficult. It's long and it's difficult. God has not promised us that he has a wonderful plan in our lives that protects us from all harm and suffering. He has not promised that all our days will be Fridays, meaning that life is one big party we can cruise. Rather, he has called us to count the cost, to take up our cross and follow him. The Christian life consists of suffering, sacrifice, and surrender. And we have spoken about that this past year. And as we go into 1 Peter, you're going to see that very clearly that we're called to these types of things. The Christian life is difficult. It is long. It is not a bed of roses. But the third fact of this race is that it's winnable. The winnables. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. I don't know if you were still there, but now that you got it, you know where to go. Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul encourages the church of Rome to continue their race because it is winnable. It may be long, it may be difficult, but no matter what we face, you and I, we cannot be separated from God. It doesn't matter how much weight you're carrying. It doesn't matter how many times you stumble. It doesn't matter how many times you look back. This race is winnable. Look at 835. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. By the way, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are considered as sheep to be slaughtered in lands in which Christ cannot be named. Syria, Iraq, Iran, China, North Korea. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. God has not yet called you to that point. One day we may. For he says in verse 38, no, no, in verse 37, no, in all these things, in your long, difficult race, he says all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, death, nor anything else in all of creation, including you yourself, will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your road to Christ, your race in Christ, your journey in Christ has been long and difficult. You have maybe many successes, but maybe more losses. But let me tell you that God loves you. If he has chosen you and called you to himself, he says, you cannot be separated from me. At the end of the race, many times you'll see people, they come and they put their hands up, right? And they, they cross that, that goal. And what is it that they do? Typically, after a long race, they just collapse. I think that's what you said, right? They collapse into the arms of their coach or the loved one. Let me tell you, keep running. And when you see that finish line, put your hands up. Because God the Father is going to come and he's going to catch you as you collapse. And he heals all our diseases. 
And he comes and says, Emmanuel is now in the flesh and the power. The race is long. The race is difficult, but it's winnable. Now I'd like to get to the meat of the message. That was all introduction. Let me get to you. Because in this, I need you to realize is that he has left us with some encouragement, some how-tos, if you would, how you and I should race. There's three encouragements in running the race. You'll see it. Hebrews chapter 12 is on the screen, I believe, at this time. Looking at the first two verses. Turn to Hebrews, if you would. It's here on the screen if you need it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, what? The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to give you three things he's telling us there. Number one is look to the faithful who came before us. You and I, we're reminded that we walk in the steps of those who've gone before us. That's the therefore. Chapter 11 gives us many heroes of the faith. As a negative example, if you were to turn, you don't have to at this time, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, about our fathers who've gone on before us. And he talks about how God had brought Israel from Egypt into, through the Red Sea and into the Sinai and back into the Promised Land. But he says in verse 5 that nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They had a race to run, but they did not run it faithfully. They turned back to Egypt. He says they were overthrown in the wilderness. They did not look to the faithful, but they looked back to slavery. In verse 6, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some is written, as people sat down and eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We not, must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. For he says, these things were written as an example to you. They were written down for your instruction on whom the end of the ages is to come. So there is a negative way in which we look at those who have gone before us and say, we should not follow this example. Kind of like the father who says, don't do as I do, do as I say. You ever been a parent found yourself saying, don't do that, but then you're what you're doing? In Hebrews 11, though, we also read of some positive examples. So there's probably some people that we need to keep our eyes off of. We need, don't need to walk like that. We don't need to desire what they have. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea, marching around the mighty walls of Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, it says, who conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight, and received back their dead by resurrection. Let me ask, how do you want to run your race? Who is your mentor? Who are the people that you look up to? 
I pray you're looking to the right people. To those that were faithful. Not in their accomplishments. We need to look at those that are faithful. Many times, especially here in Western America, maybe even even more so in Orange County, I don't know, is we equate accomplishments with faithfulness. And that's not necessarily true. For you can accomplish lots and be faithless to God. Be faithless to God's word. The stories and scriptures are more than just fairy tales or myths that teach moral lessons. They are filled with real people, with real problems, in real places, and in real time. They are meant to be an example for us in both the negative and the positive. Paul encourages his Christian followers to imitate me as I imitate God. Look to those who are faithful and find encouragement to continue. Continue to read biographies of faithful men and women who served God in their generation. Find inspiration and strength in God's faithfulness in supplying their needs. Do not find yourself, if you're someone who reads, always in the waters of fiction. In which you're looking at people who are not real, who are unrealistic. Find people who lived and and parents. Read those type of stories to your children. Narnia, all those things are wonderful and have their purpose. But read about real men and women who tackled real things and were faithful. You and I need that type of encouragement alongside what we find in Scripture. Number two, how to find encouragement is lose excess weight. That's something we always hear about this time of the year. So we need to lose some excess weight. This is the time of year when everyone is making resolutions. Most of them having to do with losing excess weight, mainly pounds of flesh. All the fitness clubs are offering discounts and incentives to get you in and work off all that weight you put on during the holiday season. However, Paul is speaking of a different kind of weight. He's speaking of the weight of sin and shame and guilt. The kind of weight that slows you down, that keeps you looking back over your shoulder or even paralyzing you into non-action. Sins that you are still fighting or God forbid harboring as a secret friend. Or it could be your pride. A pride in who you are or what you accomplished. Maybe you're even struggling with self-righteousness or self-works. What you're looking back and saying, look how good I am. Look how faithful I am instead of looking forward and it's slowing you down. Or maybe it's just the sin or maybe even your past. Many of us are running from our past, hoping that it never catches up. And here we are running. And like Landy, we keep looking back. Is it still there? Is it still there? Is it still there? And it's slowing us down. Like a parachute, we're running, full bloomed out. And we're running with so much resistance. You wonder, why am I so tired? Why is this so long? Why is this so difficult? Why is so many Christians just giving up. Paul says in Philippians, he says, I have a lot of reasons to have confidence in the flesh. But he says this, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, whatever I've gained, I count it as loss. I don't know what's holding you back. 
I don't know what, what, what weight you're carrying. Let me tell you, God forgives. He says, confess. He says he'll make you whole. You need to realize your identity is not found in who you were, but who you belong to. What sin is holding back? What weight are you carrying? Are you still struggling with guilt and shame? If you are this morning, turn your eyes on Christ. Oh, I think of that just that Jesus paid it all. Great song, by the way, going into communion. Jesus paid it all. Here's another old hymn. I don't know if you know it or not, but turn your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Then I don't remember the rest of the song. In the light of his glory and grace. See, that's what we need, those hymns. Wonderful verse. You need to lose that excess weight. You need to turn towards the gospel. Remember that you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are new. Then thirdly, to build upon that as we sung that song, is to look or lock our eyes on the prize. If you could talk to John Landy today, I don't know if he's still alive. If you were to show him that picture and say, John, if there was anything that you would do different in that race, what would you do? I think his answer would be, I would not have turned back. I'm 90 yards away from the finish line. There is the tape, the ribbon. I am winning. Now, I didn't tell you this, but the race actually had two different types of mind thought. John Landy was one of those ones who took off quickly, and he kept a steady space. Bannister was one of those ones who was slow, and then he would come up at the last. So that was why he was thinking in his mind, where is Bannister? Where is Bannister? But he's 90 yards away. If anything, self-control would have said, keep going, keep going. I bet you to this grave, he was saying, I should not have looked back. And let me tell you, when you come into Christ and you meet him there, and he says, good well, thou faithful servant, let us not say on our deathbed, I wish I would not have looked What did I not accomplish for God that I could have? My life is filled with those moments. As I stand before God, he will remind me of those times. But yet he'll still embrace me and love me. Now that's not motivation to continue to mess up, but it's motivation is, Rob, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Too many times we consider salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card or life insurance that we needed. We think of salvation as a one-time deal, a, a one decision of a lifetime or decisions or a lifetime of decisions. And once done, then we're forgotten. We go on living our lives as before, not realizing that we are called to something more than just a decision. I think of LeBron James, the, the decision on... on uh, on um, ESPN, remember that several years ago? And I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Boy, he had to live with those words, did he not? It still affects 
his legacy today. We go on living our lives not realizing that it's more than just a decision. Salvation is a life-changing moment. The Holy Spirit breathes life into our once-dead souls. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We become children of God. We become brothers of Christ. Yet so many of us forget about our calling. We forget about our gifting. And we forget about our purpose. We continue to live our lives without considering our real identity in Christ. We forget about the race. But Philippians, Paul writes, I, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm keeping my eyes on that ribbon, he's saying. I press toward the goal of the prize for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And I'd say if you've been here at any time at OVBC, you understand what God has called you to do. We're to seek the kingdom of God. We're to reach up. We're to reach in. We're to reach out. We're called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to God's service. You and I must realize that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasure, as the song says, is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Paul tells us to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life has been hidden in Christ. Let me tell you, brothers, instead of run, Christian run, many of you are looking back. You forget what manner of life that you have chosen, that you've been called to. You and I, we do this by looking to Jesus. Instead of looking to our retirement account, to looking to our social media, to looking to the things that the world has to offer, we need to keep our mind on the things of God. We do this by looking at Jesus. For Peter, the writer of Hebrews, tells us, that he is both the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that founded it and he's the one who made it perfect. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer tells us that it was fitting that Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Jesus is God the creator of all things. But he also founded our salvation and he made us perfect through his obedience and suffering. We must never think that our salvation or our sanctification, which means becoming more like Christ, comes by our own power or by our own will. Let me give you these last words. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. It tells us to look to the faithful, Lose excess weight to lock our eyes on a prize. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, he considers Jesus once again. For he tells us, considered him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Many of you are weary and faint-hearted in your race. But consider him. 
consider him. Jesus is our example in joy in running. Now, I do not find joy in running. We have an OVBC Runners Club. I have joined the blog. I like to see when you guys are running. I pray for you daily. But I don't find any joy in it. But we have to find joy in this. And we do so in a race that is long and difficult and involves suffering. By looking at Jesus who endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of God. The race is long. The race is difficult. But it's winnable. For Christ did it. He endured the long race to the cross. He despised the shame. He bore it. He knew it was difficult, but was obedient. But he also knew it was winnable. And he's now at the right hand of God, advocating for you and I. He's that coach, if I could be almost flippant, is saying, go, run, go. Continue. Keep it. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let me close with this, and you've been very good. Are you tired? Is your spirit fallen? Is your race wearing you down? And you say, what are you talking about? Well, just loving God, loving your neighbors. Loving your wives. Obeying your husband. Submitting. Just living the Christian life. Are you wore down? Bathe in this promise. Write this down. It's found in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 28 through 31. Where the prophet says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, nor does he grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exalted. But listen to this. He who waits on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Run, Christian, run. There we head bowed and every eye closed. This is just our time for you to pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to help me consider what you have spoken today and to respond to what he may be calling you to. It may be to run the race for the very first time. You need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. You are not yet a child of God. Then I would call you to run now. Join. Tell Christ, I want to be one of your children. We'll have someone here at the end of the service here that will show with you how you can know whether or not you're in that race. Maybe here you just need prayer and just says, Rob, I'm just struggling. I don't know if I can do another day. I don't know if I can stay with my wife. I, I don't know if I could stay with my job. I, I don't know if I can love. Pray for me. Maybe it's making that commitment to get out of the starting blocks 
and to run, to keep your eyes straight ahead. Whatever may be holding you back, may the Holy Spirit give you the strength to run the Christian life. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask for your guidance and direction. Give us the strength. If there's any here that are tired, Lord, will you give them strength? If there's any here that are stumbling, will you make their steps secure? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Father, let us come. Maybe it's time for us to find someone and pick them up and run the race with them. Maybe they need to be carried for a while. Open our minds and hearts to your truth, and let us respond to your wonderful grace. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Now give us the power to run faithfully in your name for your glory and for our good. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.